Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Design is like an extra voice to have for your company. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to hire a designer to design your packaging, the process to get USDA certified organic, and how to adapt your marketing if your customer base changes. Today, I'm joined by Patrice Mousseau from Satya. Satya sells a fragrance-free, Health Canada-approved, certified organic anti-inflammatory balm for eczema relief and was started in 2014 and based out of Vancouver. Welcome, Patrice. Thanks, Felix. Thank you for having me on your show. Of course. So yeah, tell us a bit more about this product that you sell and what was the idea behind it? How did you come up with the, the product? Well, um, it was out of necessity. Uh, it was for my daughter. But first, I, I think I better back up a little bit and talk a, a bit about what my background is, which is actually in um, journalism. I'm a researcher by trade and was in radio and television broadcasting for probably about 15, 16 years. Um, and then I got pregnant and had a baby. And of course, my world just completely changed um, my priorities and, and how I was spending my time. And uh, when she was about eight months old, uh, my daughter Esme uh, ended up getting eczema. And she was scratching so bad um, that her arms and legs um, were bleeding. I would pick her up out of her crib and there'd be blood on on the crib sheet. So it was a real kick in the gut for me as a mother because I felt very powerless to help her because when I took her into the doctor, their only option was steroid creams, which I knew um, based on my past experience in the media, I'd seen stories about how um, negative and detrimental steroids can actually be, especially used in the long term. So um, I was up all night basically taking care of her anyway, and I just started researching. I started looking at um, not only traditional medicine, but I looked at academic studies from different universities to see what people have come up with in the last 10 years or so around non-toxic anti-inflammatories, and then basically took all that information and uh, combined it together in my kitchen in my crock pot and created this product. Wow. So this is a, a homemade remedy that you then decided to productize. Talk to us about that that process. You created this. Of course, you you, you tested it on someone that that needed the, the the product. How did you take that jump to to the next step, which is that I should sell this? Right. So um, for my daughter, it cleared her eczema up in two days. Um, so it worked very quickly, very effectively with her. And of course, you know, it does come back from time to time, but I just then put the product on her again and it goes away again. Now, as I mentioned, I made this in my crock pot. So obviously I had some left over. So I went on my mom's Facebook group and I said to the moms, uh, does anybody want some? And 70 jars went out my door in a month and a half. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Um, but I did nothing with it because I had never considered myself to be a business person. Um, like I said, my background isn't something that I considered to be vastly different. 
um, I always had this stereotype, typical, you know, perception in my mind of what a business person was, um, someone who was good at math, someone who was into spreadsheets and wore a suit and, you know, briefcase and, and frankly was a, a man. Um, and so that was my perception. And then I ended up meeting, uh, I'd actually was inter- I in- later interviewed a, a woman for a friend of mine who had her own company. And she said, you know, I think that you have something, you should come to this business conference for women um, called SVI, which is here in Vancouver. It stands for Social Venture Institute. And basically what it is, is about people who not only want to have businesses, but they want to have business for a greater good. So it's not just about the bottom line per se. Like it's important obviously to have a healthy company, something that's financially viable and you know, you're able to make money, but it's also not just the only reason why you do business. And the women that I met there were so full of social values and integrity and i thought you know this is the type of business that i that i could do that i would want to do so at that point i decided okay maybe I, maybe i could be a business person and ended up uh deciding well if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it to the very best of my ability uh, i chose the name satya because it's actually a a philosophy of finding truth um personal truth i could do this business truth to my customers my company was going to be of service not about again not about just profit and that's become the north star of the company so if i was going to do it it had to be the best of the best so i decided that for people with sensitive skin issues for example um it has to be really clean so i went usda certified organic uh it's not just about the ingredients, but it's also about the policies and procedures, about getting those ingredients and how you prepare the ingredients and the, the cleanliness of the facilities, all those sorts of things. So it's a very high standard. Um, then I submitted it into my into Health Canada. So that's my coffee maker in the background. Um, submitted it into Health Canada with all of my research um, because that was a hoop I also wanted to jump through. I wanted people to know that the research had been done and this had been provably um, shown to work for people as well. So yes, I submitted it into, the, into Health Canada and they agreed. In fact, I could make those health claims based on that research. Uh, my packaging... Again, it was just, it had to be the best of the best, even though it was more expensive. Um, I use a glass jar, for example, because even food safe plastics will leach into your product. Um, my paper is 100% recycled. It's created by a woman-owned business. They use wind power offsets to actually make the paper. And it's all veggie and soy-based inks. So these are all more expensive options, but they're in line with my integrity. They're in line with what I'm trying to do with a company. And I think that resonates with people. Mm. So I want to unravel a lot of what you're saying here. So the first thing you did was to uh, sell the excess uh, product that you had by going to, it was basically a mother's support Facebook group. What what was the Facebook group? It was a mommy's Facebook group, you know, People get together and talk about <laughs> mom issues or swap clothing, that sort of stuff. And yeah. 
Yeah, I think this is an approach that that is a safe, low-risk approach for a lot of businesses just to reach out to an existing group, an existing community and see what the the response is. Do you remember how you approached the group? And the reason why I'm asking is because a lot of times uh, nowadays, this is like a kind of a known strategy to go into these groups and you see a lot of spam, right? You see a lot of people going around posting about their product, trying to validate it. And you sometimes, if you join multiple groups, you'll see the same post over and over again. And of course, that can be annoying. How did you approach it? How did you approach it in a way that, that you know, came across the right way? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It's super annoying and very disingenuous. Um, when I when I posted on my mom's Facebook group, I was just like, I literally wanted to know if anybody wanted the extra. Um, it was not that I was planning on on selling it per se, although I, I did end up selling um, it because just so many people wanted it, and I actually had to make more batches. Yeah, I just I just was honest about what it was and what I was trying to do, and and I thought that it would be of service to other people. So. I think again, it wasn't. It didn't come across as salesy because it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Do, do you remember how you figured out the the price point early on, and has that changed over time? Oh yeah, yeah. No, radically changed. Um, it's uh, I had, you know, I obviously I, I looked at how much everything was going to cost and and what are the prices that I was going to do that at. Like my industry, like a sort of the skin medicinal skincare industry. A lot of the larger manufacturers, they're making products for pennies and they're selling it for like twelve, fifteen dollars. Um, my product costs significantly more than that. And on the shelf, it is on the higher end. Um, but a couple of things. One is that it actually lasts a lot longer because you don't need very much. And two, I wanted to keep the price low um because i'm I'm a single mom, and I want everyone to be able to afford to buy this product. So it wasn't just about how much money can I make? It's like, how can I make this product still make money and provide it to people? Mm, makes sense. Now, I'm looking at your site and from the beginning and up until now even, you basically have, I guess, two products today. Started with one, now you have two products, I guess two ways to to use the product. Uh, what made you make that decision to stick with these two products? And the reason I'm asking this question is because a lot of times new entrepreneurs will just launch with as many things as possible and kind of stuff their catalog. Was this a conscious decision to stick with just you know a couple products? Yeah. So, um, well, first I need to clarify, it does, uh, it's just actually two different sizes, um, of the same product in each, in each, in each, uh, container. Um, the reason why I have, um, the small container, the travel size, um, is because you don't actually know how something is going to work with your individual skin. Um, and a lot of people, what they do is they buy these products, um, and they spend all this money and they don't work for them. And then they kind of, you know, they hide it in the back of their closet cause they don't want to throw it away cause they spent all this money on it, but it doesn't work for them. I never wanted to be that product. So what I did was I created actually the travel size, which is the second product that you're looking at. And there's enough in there to last about two weeks for people to test with their individual body chemistry. And then when it's empty, you don't throw the package away. It's a sliding tin container. So you buy the jar and then you can refill it. And then you carry the small one around in your bag. It was about, it was more about problem solving versus providing more options. And 
because it's an anti-inflammatory, like I formulated it for eczema, but people with psoriasis picked it up right away. Um, rosacea, um, rashes. I have a lot of athletes who are actually using it for um, cut and broken hands, um, for like crossfitters. I've got marathon runners using it. Um, and people do use it for, you know, anything, anything and everything really. Yeah. And th that's interesting that, that all of these other uses, all these other problems are coming to your, uh, coming to you for the, for their solution. Does that affect how you market or does that change the way you want to market your product because it solves other needs? And clearly there are people that are discovering your product to solve their needs. Yeah. Well, eczema, I mean, it's such a big issue for so many people that I want to make sure, like, we've basically just scratched the surface on letting people know about the product. Um, I want people to know that there is another good option out there for eczema because it's such a huge issue. And steroids for the longest time have been the only option. Um, but people, again, you know, they have taken it and said, well, what about this? And, you know, they try it and it works fantastically. Like, Sunburn. I had a grandmother call, uh, email me and say, you know, I tried it on my grandkids' sunburn and it worked fantastically. And then I tried it and it worked really well um, for me as well. So, you know, it it really just becomes about people taking it and it, you know, it becomes like the Windex from Big Fat Greek Wedding. I don't know if you saw that movie where they put the Windex on everything kind of thing. It becomes like a multi-purpose um, product for a lot of people once they purchase it. But I think the initial purchase is always either eczema or psoriasis. Mm, and you do want to keep the kind of marketing and the messaging focused on that specific, I guess, probably the, the largest type of problem. Yeah. And I mean, I think if you try to be too much for too many people, like people do use it for everything. But again, I just try to keep it focused on the one um, issue. And I am actually coming out with a second uh, whole product, which would be the two SKUs um, for specifically for psoriasis uh, as well. And that hopefully will be coming out in the next year. Mm, that makes sense. So when you do roll out this other product, you plan on keeping it on on this site uh, still, right? You don't open up a new store for it? No. Yeah. It'll, it'll absolutely be um, on the same site, Satya Organics, and you'll be able to actually use it for both. So um, the psoriasis product will be nut-free and vegan as well. So if the original Satya product isn't something that you feel like you can use, then you can try the psoriasis product on your eczema because psoriasis and eczema, although they do tend to come from different places, they they present themselves very similarly. So the treatment very often is is the same. Makes sense. Now, you mentioned that there was a time, I guess, a, a, a time between when you sold the products for the first time versus and then the time where you actually decided to to launch a real business. What was the timeline? Well, how long, how much time uh, uh, passed during that, that period? Um, oh, several months for sure. I would say eight, eight or nine months before I finally did my first farmer's market and sold $100, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> I was like, you know, I was really excited that people were buying something that I had made. Yeah, so. those those first sales are always the, the biggest rush that everyone kind of chases after again. Huge. I was so nervous too. It was amazing. It was great. Now, did you have packaging and all that ready to go by then? Like what kind of, ver I guess what version or how ready was your product when you started to sell it as like a legitimate business? 
Yeah. So right from the very beginning, this is actually the second version of our of our packaging design. But when I first started selling it, I knew how important good design was. So right from the very beginning, I had already decided, you know, the good paper I was going to use, the glass jar. I got a proper designer who is still with the company today, who's amazing. And she did a fantastic job. Like I can't, I can't express enough how important it is for packaging and for products, how important good design is. Why do you say that? Why, why do you find that that's a, an important aspect? Because it sounds like it makes your product much more, not much more, but I'm sure it makes your product more expensive for you to, to produce. What made you decide that it would, it's, a, it's a good investment to spend the time, spend the effort, spend the money on, on having this kind of packaging? Well, I mean, there is a legitimacy issue. Like you look, when you pick up a product from, you know, a a plastic container that's obviously been handmade and hand-labeled versus something that looks professional and well done, when people pick, and it might even be the same product, but people are always going to choose the one that they can tell time and effort has been made into making that product. So I think that there, there is a definite value to that. Um, in addition, moving forward, if you want to go into a retail space, retailers are going to like your packaging. That to them says it'll be easy for them to say yes to put it on their shelves versus, again, packaging that's obviously very amateur. So good design, I, again, can't stress it enough. It's super important. Mm, yes. Talk, talk to us about this process of packaging and creating the design. Well, uh, we'll start with the design first. Uh, did you hire a packaging designer? Like, how specific do you need to get if you are looking to hire someone to help you out with your packaging? Um, it was actually at the conference that I mentioned, SVI, that I ran into a woman who had a design company, and I was talking to her because I knew how important design was, and she said you know, I could do this for you, but it's going to cost you $20,000. And I'm like, I can't, you know, obviously it's not even an option for me. She said, however, one of my senior designers is leaving uh, and she's opening her own company and maybe you should talk to her. So I was able to get this amazing senior designer who um, was incredibly talented and is opening her own business. And I got her for, you know, a few thousand dollars, which was incredible. And um, yeah, so it's just, it's about sourcing like a good designer, somebody who, who has, who has designs that, that, that resonate with you and are in line with what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at like their portfolio to see what other designs they've created. And then you wanted to see mm-hmm. if it matches your idea of what your products would look like. Design is like an extra voice to have for your company. Now, when you sit down with a designer to to work with them, what what do you do? Like, what's your what's your role in working with the with a designer? Well, it's, it obviously it starts with a conversation about my story, the things that are important to me, um, what this product is all about, and the values behind that. Um, and as you know, looking at uh, obviously their past designs and then they usually they go away and they start to have a bit of an idea and then they'll give you say five or six options and then you can narrow it down to maybe your top one or two and then you know you just keep honing it and honing it until you get something um, where you're like yep that that seems like my product my company and who I am also mm. 
it's really important to also trust your designer too. Like my, my background isn't in design. So to a certain extent, I have to trust that she is an expert in this or he or she is an expert in this and that um, they're going to make great design choices. Maybe even not, maybe in opposition of what I would necessarily choose. Yeah, that that's a great point because a lot of times, whether it be designers or developers, you're hiring these experts and as entrepreneurs, sometimes, of course, this is your baby that they're working on. This is your product. This is the, your brand that they're working on. So you feel like you have to be super involved and, and contribute, maybe even feel like you need to con- contribute more than they should be, which is like you're alluding to is the wrong approach because you're hiring people and you have to trust the people that you've hired that they're going to do the job better than you. So that's why you hired them in the first place. Exactly. Uh, now, when you look at your packaging in the state that's at today, what changes did you make along the way? Like, What kind of things did you notice maybe in the initial designs that or specs that you knew you had to change to improve the design of the packaging? Uh, well, one of the major uh, shifts for us was actually taking the glass jar and putting it in a box. And that wasn't a choice that we made um, because we thought it would look prettier. It was actually a, a requirement for our Health Canada recommendations because when you have, um, when you get this approval, you actually have to have everything in English, French, and the ingredients in Latin. So just a, the simple fact that we just didn't have enough real estate on the jar, that putting it in a box was um, was necessary. So it it just became like, Oh, we're also a little bit tired of the original one, and it it just became something that was um, even more sort of on brand with what we were trying to do. So it just mm-hmm. honing it down and getting it to to more of what it what it should be. And when you see products in stores and in, in, in the physical stores, or you look at uh, maybe new brands online, you look at their packaging. What kind of common mistakes do you, do you see, you know, based on your experience that you think entrepreneurs should pay close attention to? It's not. Uh, I see a lot of stuff that isn't very clear. Um, not only, you know, I'm trying to figure out what the name, the brand name is, um, as well as what the purpose of the product is like there seems to be a lot of noise on a lot of labels. I think simple and clean and clear is always better. Um, and that's also like a, uh, not just a personal philosophy, but as a, a philosophy of my company, like we only have five ingredients in our products. So for me, I think it, it should be very straightforward for the consumer to pick up your product and go, Oh, that's what this is. And, uh, yes or no, if I need that. Mm-hmm. Now, did you test that that out? Did you have to test out whether your 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 packaging kind of ticked those boxes when you, uh, I guess, in front of potential customers? Did you do any of that? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, Felix, like I said, my background is not in business, so so much of what I do is based on gut. Like, mm-hmm. what is my gut telling me about these decisions and I can try to, you know, overthink things or, you know, my brain is telling me all these different things, but what is my, what is my gut? What is my heart telling me? And very often that's the right choice to make. So 
Right. And Alex, I want to go back to the, these, um, all of these certifications and approvals that you got for your product. Can you list them again? And, and yeah, tell us what, what, what kind of uh, certification you had to get or that you wanted to get for, for your product. So uh, we are USDA certified organic. Um, although we are a Canadian company, the Canadian government actually doesn't certify uh, skin products. So we did have to go to the USDA in order to get organically certified, um, which is actually even better because the standard is is higher. So I was quite pleased with that. Um, and again, going through uh, Health Canada and getting these processes done, uh, they're both really involved. Like the paperwork and the things that they're they're asking for are just pretty extraordinary, like the flow charts and the overhead aerials and plant diagrams and all these sorts of things. A lot of hoops to jump through, but again, I'm really glad I did it. And uh, probably next, I mean, we'll be looking at FDA approvals, um, moving into other countries, there's a lot of interest in other international markets for the product and for the company. So we'll be looking at those as well. And I would say, you know, there people have said to me, well, well you can move into this country and you can get in under the radar. I'd, I would never recommend doing that, as, you know, especially for me. It's I want to jump through those hoops. I want to make sure that all of the regulations and and qualifiers are done. I guess it's a good way to to do a health check of your company, of your of your brand, of your products as well, and just for yourself, not not just for for the customers, or not just for to slap it on a label, but just as a way to keep things tidy. It sounds. Now, you when you go through these processes, are you able to reuse any of the kind of work that you you do from going from USDA certified organic to Health Canada? Like, were there reusable documents, or did you have to pretty much start from scratch? Yeah, so they a lot of the stuff can um, can translate, and uh, I also do recommend though. I mean, I did my USDA certification by myself, uh, which was tough. Uh, when I went through my Health Canada certifications, I actually hired a consultant, which was such good money spent. I would highly recommend if you're going to go this route is to get somebody who really knows. And we'll take it off your plate for you. And it's actually not that expensive to get somebody to help you to do this. So I would definitely recommend that as well. Can you give an idea of what kind of budget we're talking about before this makes sense for for a store? Uh, I would say, well, I mean, you're looking at anywhere from, say, three to $4,000 to get a consultant to help you do this. Yeah, not bad, especially if it's a some product like this that people need for health reasons. Yeah, it's it's you know, and then you can actually make those health claims. So it's it's definitely worthwhile. It's a good investment in your company, and it's good for your customers too. Mm-hmm. And when you look for a consult, well, where do you find a consultant like this? What are you looking for? Like, what are you googling to find a consultant to help with uh, with this uh, process? Well, obviously, talking to your network, finding people who, if if anybody else has worked with somebody in the past, um, but a lot of it's you know just digging into the internet and googling and and talking to people and sort of getting what you feel like is going to be a good fit for you because the chances are you're going to be working with them again and again, and you want to too. You want somebody who knows your product, so if you end up getting going for something else, they understand where you're coming from. Mm. So you're just like Googling Health Canada consultants or what do you, how do you, was there a label for these types of folks? 
Um, so for Health Canada, it's called a NPH or an NPN, which is a natural health product number or a natural health product. And uh, yeah, there's a number of consultancies out there. They're fairly easy to find. Mm-hmm. Now, when you did this yourself for, you said you did it yourself for the USDA certified organic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What 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 was uh what are some things that almost I guess tripped you up that you wish you would have prepared more for if you were to do this again by yourself? Oh my gosh! <laughs> as a, as a warning was, for anyone else, else out there, it's a warning. Track everything, know where everything is coming from, all of your all of your um, invoices, your lot numbers, um, where everything is stored. You know, just be very, very organized as as much as much as possible. Mm. Okay, so now that you had all this done, you have the packaging done, you have these certifications done. What was the 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 method that you decided to go after for driving the traffic and sales to to your business? Right. So as I mentioned, I started up in a farmers markets, and it became a lot of word of mouth. Um, it was moms talking to other moms saying, have you tried this? Uh, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to, uh, go to my first retailer. And, uh, I went to this, uh, kid's store and I said, I have this product. I think it'd be a really good fit on your shelves. And she said, well, we already have so many things. We're not interested. And I said to her, I said, do you have any skin issues? And she said, yeah, actually, I have this rash from underneath my wedding ring. It, it won't go away, and it's really itchy. And I said, well, here, take one of these travel sizes, try it out, and I'll call you back in like a week or so and see, see, what, you, see what you think. Well, she called me back the next day and said, I will carry your product. My issue is gone. So that was my first store. And then again, it was just sort of people calling. At this point, people were actually calling me because they'd heard of the product. And we got up to about 70 stores in Western Canada. So BC, basically, mostly. Um, and uh, I was still doing the farmer's markets. The, uh, real quick, so these, these farmer's markets, did, they, did you find that they helped you with these retail stores? Or do you feel like you could have gone straight into the retail stores? The farmers markets were great for a number of reasons. One, talking to cu- customers and getting to know what it is that they really wanted. Like when I first produced my product, I thought, oh, it can be like a baby balm kind of thing. Um, people weren't interested in the baby balm, but they were very interested in the eczema. So that was like market research. Um, it's also very supportive of the retailers because when somebody buys a product for you at a farmer's market, they're not necessarily going to be back in a week or a month to get more, but you can say, I'm in this store and that store, and you can pick mm-hmm. it up there when you need it again. So that was very supportive of the retailers as well. Um, and we were doing really well and growing quite fast, and I ended up uh, deciding uh, to get somebody to come in and help me with operations. And one of the things that she said, first thing is that she said is that you no longer can do farmer's markets Um, because I was working seven days a week. Um, I'm a single mom. So I was taking care of my daughter throughout the week and doing these farmer's markets on the weekend. So I was exhausted and I wasn't able to get really good, um, 
time spent, I just was constantly trying to put out fires and, and run to the next thing. So she was like, you need to back up a little bit and figure out where you want to go next. So <clears throat> at that point, uh, just, we had been talking to a distributor, a na- uh, one of the big national distributors up here in Canada, and they said, we are very interested in carrying your product, but I wasn't ready. I didn't have the capacity at that point to be supplying more stores than I was um, than I was at the time. So I said, no, actually. I said, you know, but they said, okay, well, we'll stay with you. You let us know when you're ready. So I started building out capacity at that point saying, okay, how do we streamline um, our suppliers? How do we, you know, figure out where we're going to store everything? And then all those sorts of issues. And then probably, I guess it was about a year later, we said yes to the distributors because we were ready. Um, and then we went from 70 stores to about 400 stores in two months. Wow. So what was that like? What was scaling up from 70 to 400 like? Well, we had we had done our work ahead of time, right? We were ready. We It was still a bit of a shock. <laughs> we, we certainly weren't expecting that to happen and not certainly not that fast. But luckily, we we had put some processes in place. Um, so it was relatively painless, exciting, super exciting, but it was it was a good a good thing to have happened for sure. and they and they've been great also supporting us um, through this entire time. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the the online presence? Do you is there, is there is are most of the sales coming from these retail locations? Do you or do you push a lot onto the online store as well? Mm-hmm. Well, we uh, it, it's never been like a super focus. Again, it's been a lot of like organic growth online, um, and and they're in the retailers as well. So it's been you know, the couple different revenue streams. It used to be three, but then when I dropped the farmer's market, so we had the retail, the online and the farmer's markets. Um, the retail strategy, we obviously we have some social media, uh, a social media person working with that. Uh, but our major sort of big push happened. And, and again, it was, it was actually kind of by accident. I had done my first media interview in January of this year so we've done only one marketing campaign before that, but no advertising, no media, nothing. And I was a finalist in a business competition called SheEO, uh, which is amazing. If you ever, if you're a woman and you're looking for um, venture capital or any kind of like growth in your business, look to SheEO. And a friend of mine was on has this show on CBC Radio One, which is their big national broadcaster. A uh, show called Unreserved, and she asked me to come on and talk about the product and talk about CEO. And I said, sure, no problem. And I was on for about eight or nine minutes and just chatting. And then the retail set, like that awesome Shopify sing <laughs> sound, <laughs> started happening like every thirty seconds. Like it wow. was insane. How long did that we, last? Uh, well, we did thirty. in sales in 10 days online alone. So that was our entire sales, our entire online sales from the year before we did in like two weeks, basically. 
um, all 400 stores across Canada sold out in two days and there were waiting lists across the country. Um, so in addition to, uh, in addition, we also got another 60 stores that joined up from that. So that was just, that's, you know, the power of the media and reaching people is huge. If you get an opportunity, um, don't ever pass it up. Don't ever think that you're not expert enough or you don't have something to say, or, you know, you can think of somebody else who do a better job. Never do that. Just get out there and talk about what you're passionate about. And that will translate and hopefully translate into some amazing sales as well. Now this show that you're on, was it for, for business people? What was the audience of people that are tuning in? It was actually a, a very small show. Well, no, I shouldn't say very small show because it was hugely impactful. Um, but it's one hour every week. It's called Unreserved, and it focuses on First Nations people and um, what they're doing just in general. Um, but our story on Unreserved, the story, my 10-minute story, was the most shared story in all of the nationals, the CBC Radio 1 broadcast. So even like their big shows, like The Current and Q, um, we outshared them by hundreds and hundreds of, of shares. So it was super popular. People really responded to it. Mm. Now, do you have any tips for anyone out there that is thinking about taking this approach of getting on TV shows or getting into more kind of a nationwide uh, media appearances? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, don't be intimidated. Um, I, I know it's easy to say, but honestly, I come from a background of radio and television. And if we have somebody that's going to talk and be a good interview and can be an expert for us and help solve our time crunch problems, because we're always looking for good content, we are going to be super happy to talk to you. Or they are going to be, I'm not in the media anymore, but they are going to be super happy <laughs> to talk to you. So don't feel shy about reaching out to people. I would avoid press releases like the plague, uh, never read them. Um, what I would do is reach out to people who have a beat, um, sort of a, a focus on what it is that you're doing and reach out to them directly to try and develop some kind of relationship with them to let them know that you're available as an expert to them and just be passionate. Just, I mean, there's a reason why you got into what you're doing and just share that with people. Mm. Now, how do you, did you have to do any preparation or I guess for you, you much, you're much more experienced for anyone out there that has never done an interview before that definitely has not been on TV or radio before uh, any tips on how to prepare, you know, the, the days leading up to your first interview? Sure. Um, well, first off, you're not, you're not providing like a dissertation on the, your product and the industry. And it's, although it's important to have facts facts aren't really what people get engaged with. They get engaged with your passion. So have a few talking points, you know, um, I'd say four or five things that you want to discuss um, and maybe some key points around that, but avoid, you know, having to read or be too scripted. Just go out there and be yourself because it's you that people are really interested in. Mm. Now, when you are going down this approach, this this path of getting on TV, getting on the radio, who should you be trying to connect with? Like, who is the, I guess, the decision maker at these uh, these companies? Yeah, so there is obviously that you know the managing editor or the producer or um, those sorts of people. 
They get inundated a lot. And um, again, I would say if you can talk to the writer, talk to the individual reporter, talk to um, those specific people because they're, they're looking for you right now. Like they want to have someone like you on their, on their program to talk about these things because, you know, content creation is, um, is huge and they don't have a lot of time and they're going to be happy to speak with you. So consider trying to get to them directly. And there are ways to do that. Like you can go on, um, I forget the name of it, but there are, there are like, as you look up on Twitter, which reporters are reporting on what kind of thing. So you can just do some Googling and, uh, and reach out to those people directly. Yeah. I've heard of this service. I haven't used it myself, but I heard, heard of other entrepreneurs using it called, I think it's pronounced Harrow, H-A-R-O, help a reporter out. And as you sign up and I think you get to mark yourself down as an expert or someone mm-hmm. involved in a, in a specific industry. And you essentially, I think you get a couple of emails a day, depending on which industry you're in, of course, from reporters that are just looking for people that are experts that can comment on, you know, whatever's in the news or whatever they're writing about. And it's a great way to get, you know, essentially someone to, to do the PR for you without you having passively, essentially without you having to reach out yourself. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, now I want to talk a little about your site. So the design of it, I love it. I think it matches your packaging uh, so well. Who, who designed it? What was the process behind creating this <laughs> Same site? person. Same person who did my packaging did my <laughs> website. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be going to be pretty in line uh, with that. Her name is uh, Nanda Vandermeer. And uh, she originally, I met her here in Vancouver, but she moved to the Netherlands um, and I still work with her. So um, just remote and that's been fantastic as well. So don't limit yourself just to your specific market, obviously. For sure. Now, has the site gone through iterations like the packaging as well? Or did you? is this the design that you've always had? It's pretty much been the design we've always had. Again, we had a little bit of an update in the past year or so, but nothing too nothing too radically to change it again it's you know it's it's just very straightforward and it's about getting people the information that they're looking for and uh, being being a place where people can actually look for our reviews as well and hear what other people have to say about the product because I think very often versus me um, talking about it it's so important to hear other voices and that's a that's a really good opportunity to let people do that Mm. Yeah, and because a lot of your revenue is coming from the retail store, I'm assuming that's where a lot of your focus is, is as well. So when you sit down and think about how you should be spending your time with the the website, the online store, where do you where do you spend your time? Where do you focus on these days to to grow the business uh, when it comes to your online store, your online sales? Mm-hmm. So. W- Obviously, our social media, we're trying to engage our customers. We do have um, a specific Facebook group that we started just for people to be able to talk together versus um, us, you know, talking about discount codes and all that kind of stuff. It's just a place to build some community because this can be also a very isolating disease if you don't. If you don't know, um, if you don't know other people that you can talk to about it, and you haven't had experience with it, having eczema and psoriasis can be—it's—it um, can be just terrible. Like it's not just about itchy, scaly skin; it's also about 
the way that people look at you when they see you on the street mm -hmm. and how that feels as a teenager or, you know, as a professional and you don't want to shake someone's hand because of the state of your skin. Like these, these, these are very real um, things that people are suffering with. And it's an opportunity, again, to, to just get together and build a community and share things like that. Yeah, I like how the Facebook group is built around the, the problem rather than your solution, right? I think a lot of times people will uh, have a brand, have a store, and they decide to start a group, and the group is all about their product rather than coming people coming together as a community. Because no, no one really wants to spend time online talking about a product, right? No, one, You barely are going to uh, participate in a group like that, but if it's the topics, the conversations around the problems, the the stigma, as you are, are are talking about. If it's if the topic is around that, then there's a lot more for people to contribute. There's a lot more value people get out of it because you can only talk about your product so much. So I think that's an important thing that that you've certainly nailed is that your group is focused on support around the problem that your product solves, but it's not about the product itself. Mm hmm. And, you know, it's not just always about monetizing everything either. Like, if I'm out there providing some sort of relief to people and not just the literal relief, but making them feel better, that, to me, is a huge payoff. Like, when people email me and call me and tell me, you know, you made a difference to me or to my children or, like, that, that's huge. And... I think that's probably why I got into journalism journalism in the first place is I, I wanted to feel like I was making a difference. And at some point it became clear to me that I, I didn't feel like I was making the difference that I wanted to. Now, again, every day people are telling me that I've, that I've helped them. And so that has huge, huge value to me. Mm. Now, because you are pretty much the, the only person running this business, of course, you have, you're hiring people to help you out. What, I'm sure you rely on a lot of tools and applications to, to help you out. Can you talk a little bit about those and what kind of technology do you employ, whether it be on Shopify or outside of Shopify to help you run the business? Well, Shopify has been incredible. I mean, I don't think I could have created this online store without Shopify and all the tools that are available to us. Um, you know, it, from mailing out our shipments to uh, just, you know, tracking where our sales are coming from, all those, the tools that are out there being able to export from, you know, to QuickBooks from Shopify, those apps, like, it's it's been sort of our go-to place for sure, um, but I also want to be pretty clear. Like it's, I do have a team with me, and without whom I wouldn't be successful the way that I am. Like my operations person, um, Hillary, um, like down to like the team that helps me with labeling and fulfillment of of all my package of all my products as well. So it's definitely um, a group effort for sure. Mm -hmm. And any any tools or that you can mention or that you can think of that that you rely on heavily? Not off the top of my head, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Other than you know, just everything on on it. like Shopify is just the go to place for me. If I need something, I I just look and look what they have available, and yeah. Very cool. So thank you so much, Patrice. So Satya is S-A-T-Y-A dot C-A. Where do you want to see the, the business go this time next year? What's, what are your focus or what are your goals for, for the coming year? 
Well, obviously, we're going to continue to to grow in Canada, and it's really about getting people to know that there is another option out there, another good um, option out there to the steroids. Uh, we do have interest in possibly going overseas to some few other countries as well, um, and just continue uh, with with our sort of our mission, which is to be of service in a service in a in a product industry. So. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Patrice. Thank you so much, Felix. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. When people attack their friend, when they feel like it's important enough that you feel like you want to attack someone, then I think it's always some good content. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.